0: Work, uh, Michelle, there on the, uh, the names. None of those are easy, so that's, uh, that's great. That's right, anything with confidence is my, uh, my response when we're reading the Bible like that. Uh, anything with confidence. No one else uh, knows how to pronounce those names, so you may as well go for it. Um, but no, thank you. Well, Really well read. Uh, very helpful. Um, if you can open your Bibles, we're going to look at, um, at chapter 3, so it'd be good to keep that, uh, that in front of you. How about I pray and ask God to help us tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for allowing us time in our week uh, to turn our thoughts, our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray, Father, that it would be a living word and that tonight by your Holy Spirit, we might be challenged and changed by it. Father, help us to keep our hearts soft and our ears open. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this week is the second week in our series on God in mission in the Old Testament. I want to start by asking you the question, what is the biggest problem in the world? What's the biggest problem in the world? I guess it depends at some level how old you are. Some of the things that we have as problems in the world depend on our scale of things. So at various times, uh, maybe at school, uh, the biggest problem you have is someone doesn't like me this week. Uh, Or alternatively, it can be uh, I'm having a really terrible week at work and so it doesn't matter what's happening beyond us. Literally, our world comes down to the people I'm working with are making my life terrible. That's the biggest problem in the world right now. If we look a little bit further afield, last week I said that there were four areas that were for human flourishing: uh, that with regard to God we could have peace, with regard to work we could have satisfaction, with regard to relationships love, and in terms of our connection with the um, the created order that we would be in right relationship and know something about the, the creation that was around us. So peace, love, satisfaction, and connection. I want to suggest to you that the troubles of our world kind of reverse all of those. So if you look at our world at the moment, instead of peace, we have a growing sense of what? War, I think. Uh, instead of a great relationship with work, we have toil. And, and I've got a picture there of slavery. Although you can't see it, it's a, it's a girl in a brick kiln in India where she's enslaved so instead of it being fulfilling work it's slavery for her instead of love we have the terrible blight of domestic violence and i shared with the guys this morning that i was watching and uh, uh and program where he paints portraits of people and interviews him has anyone seen this yeah that's absolutely phenomenal. He's just really compassionate and warm in the way that he does it. And Ando Ar- the other night was um, painting a picture of this lady, uh, Rosie Batty, who was the Australian of the Year. And she was telling the tragic story of her abuse in her home and, uh, and the death of her son. And it reminds me that uh, the troubles of this world go into our homes. They're often behind closed doors and they are real and they are terrible. So there's global scale problems And then there are profoundly personal ones that are appalling uh, and that are brought home in a terrible way, particularly in in Rosie's case. And this is a case for many around us. Thirdly, when it comes to our connection with the created order, uh, we've messed it up. Unfortunately, it's really funny, I realised this this morning when I put it up on the screen. It's a picture of rubbish in the ocean, right? But it looks like a bit of Finding Nemo, doesn't it? (laughs) Like uh, the beautiful Barrier Reef, right? No, it's rubbish floating in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, it's supposed to be a terrible blight on the, uh, on the created order. Okay, so instead of looking after and caring for the creation, uh, we've defiled it. So which of those is the biggest? Well, the Bible says that all of those are symptoms of a bigger problem. God says behind these symptoms is something else. And it probably won't surprise you tonight to know that God's verdict on the world is that the problem behind the problems is sin. This illustration, uh, I think, helps, helps me out. Uh, it was lovely. When I was, when I was looking for this picture, uh, Michael was looking over my shoulder, and uh, he tells me, Michael, what type of plane is this? It's a Boeing 737, which he can tell because what, Michael? Because he loves planes. And uh, it's apparently to do with the layout of the monitors and where the flap lever is or something. Flap in the throttle, of course. So anyway, you, you can tell that. Uh, he... Here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. Apart from that being awesome, Michael, I love that. Um, so here's the controls. What, what we can often think is we look at the problems of the world and we seat ourselves in the cockpit, right? And you look at all the things that you could do. Uh, we need more education, we need more um, empowerment of women, we need to stop slavery, we need to reorganize unjust economic systems, we need to get justice happening. You can look at that and you think, we're, we're tweaking all the knobs, right? We're trying to get our plane off the ground. But we fail to realize, as we do all of those things, we fail to realize that this is happening underneath us. That the plane isn't going to go anywhere. There are chocks that we can't see. While we're ignorant to the spiritual reality of the world, flicking all the levers you want with all the power of the UN and all the rest of it won't move the plane. It's grounded because of sin. And until we realize the spiritual reality of our problems is sin, we're not going to get anywhere. Which is not to say not to work on education and all the rest of it, but it's not the root cause. The root cause is sin. So in order to make that case for you tonight, because I'm telling you that's what it is, let's go to our Bible timeline. So we've got a timeline that goes from uh, the creation here all the way through to new creation at the end of the New Testament there that's still in front of us. And we are here in the timeline of the Bible. Last week we looked at creation right at the start. And this week, we're looking at what we call in the Bible, the fall. And uh, you can see what's happened to our beautiful earth there. Uh, It's messed up. It's cooked. uh, It's baked. Uh, It's baked because of sin. And so we're going to dive into that tonight, and that's what we're going to have a look at. Now, I'm talking tonight about sin. I'm really just uh, appealing to Michael tonight, I think. He loves trains, so this is really all about Michael. Um, So when we look at the train map, we think, Uh, it's going everywhere, it's all all over the place. I think sometimes when we think about sin, we just think sin is just a mess and it goes in all sorts of different directions and at some level that's right. But tonight I want to make the case that sin is actually a single track with a number of stations on it and almost all sin will move down this one track to the destination of dishonouring God. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to stop at these stations and build the picture of what it looks like to sin we're going to do it through examining what happened in the garden here. So open your Bibles up. We're going to focus on Genesis chapter 3, but I want to show you a couple of things about where the journey to sin starts. If we have a look uh, in Genesis chapter 1, so whether that's on page 1 for you or page 2, have a look, see if you can find it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29, it says this, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Skip forward to the second account in Genesis chapter 2 and look at verses 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted the garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here's the thing. Funnily enough, our journey to understand sin in Genesis actually starts with the fact that God had generously given them all that they needed. Right? So in the garden, God had said, You can have how much? All. You can have all the trees in the garden except for two. So did God look after them? Yeah. How much did he give them? He gave them everything. He had graciously given them everything that they needed. In fact, if you think about it, how many people were in there at this point in time? This is simple. Great. Good to see you paying attention, Romy. Thank you. So there's only two people in it. There's a garden, massive garden, filled with all the fruit. and They couldn't possibly eat it. Okay? Even if they just binged on, uh, on oranges all day, they wouldn't, wouldn't have ever cleared it out. So God has provided even more than they need. And we're going to see what happens with people who are given everything. Secondly, God had put something in the middle of the garden. H- have a look at uh, at fifteen, uh, fifteen to seventeen again. You'll see, in chapter two, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden east, uh, in the Garden of Eden, to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat f- eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die." So. They had total freedom. They could do anything they want. They were looking after the garden. They were caring for it. They were eating the fruit. And God said, actually, I'm going to give you something that will help you to obey me. Okay, The obey tree, we'll call it the obey tree. The obey tree is there. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from the fruit of that one you got that? Are you clear? It was funny you said, Michelle, it was like talking to the three-year-old kind of language. It's very straightforward. Just don't eat from that tree. And guess what? The rest of it, you're totally free to do. I've got a picture up here. Uh, I asked people if they could read the, um, the Cambodian at the top uh, this morning, but you might have dropped to the bit underneath. It says danger mines. right? If you ever see this sign and you're walking around in Asia, please don't go past that sign. It can often be in a triangle as well, just a red triangle, even without any writing on it. If you see that don't go forward. What's beyond that is landmines. Everyone know what they are? So small little canisters like this in the ground and they're hidden. And what happens is if the kids don't know about it, they'll run through and devastating consequences. They'll lose a leg or or an arm. The the idea is if you find, and, and what the education program becomes in these places, kids, if you find a small round thing, do not touch it. Do you see? Don't touch it. If you touch it, You might die. Stay away. Leave it alone. And so God is saying, this tree, this tree, do not eat from the tree. It's for your good, for your flourishing. The rest of the forest is great to plant. Just do not go to that tree there. It's a command for flourishing. Everything else is good. Stay away from that one there. All right? This is the start. They are protected from the tree. Don't go near it. And they're given a way to obey God. We will obey God by not going to that tree. Well, what happens next? So far, you're thinking, how is this a railway track to sin? We're given everything and we're given a command to obey. That sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Well, somebody turns up on the scene. Have a look with me at Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 to 2. Oh, I should say, today, uh, I I forgot last week to say we'd take question and answer. Yeah? Do you remember? Uh, Today, we're actually not going to do question and answer in the service, but I'm going to do it over, uh, uh, over supper afterwards. Is that all right? So when you have your questions... We're about to get to one that you're going to ask me. When, we, when you get to your questions, just jot them down on your Caring Connect card and we'll chat over supper. Is that all right? Everyone clear? Really happy to have your questions. So, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay. I, I told the guys this morning, the first thing is, Whenever we hear this, what's our first question? Our first question is, hand up, where did the serpent come from? Right? Okay, God, where did the serpent come from? I think that's our natural question. And I'm going to read to you the full and complete answer that the Bible gives us. You ready? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I hope that's a full and complete answer for you. Uh, My reflection is this. As much as we want to know what the origin of Satan is, the Bible is utterly uninterested in telling us. This is all the information that we have. There's possibly a passage in Isaiah 14, possibly, uh, that speaks of him. But honestly, the rest of it is total mystery. And when we go, but I really want to know, I think it's interesting for us to go, but God really didn't want to tell me. He just acknowledges that he's there and he tells us what he does. It's almost like the tree in the garden. Do not go near the snake, okay? That's, that, that's, that's what it's like. And so here, we're not told where he comes from other than he was more crafted than the other wild animals the Lord God had made. That's what we get. But what does he do? Well, this is the thing that we need to note. Uh, I think I'm going to ask you. I did this this morning. I'll see if you guys pass the test. Okay, it's night, but I want to see if you can pass the test, okay? I'm going to ask you Satan's question, and you have to answer me. You ready for this? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the answer is? Good answer. Was that hard? Did you need to think about it? No. Okay. Why is the answer no? Can anyone tell me? I'm, I'm welcoming your responses. Why, why is the answer no? What? Sorry? That's right. Did God really say you could not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that's a stupid. The answer is no. I want to suggest to you that the whole fall of mankind could be over with the right answer here. Did God really say you should eat from any of the... Tr- no. Oh, sorry about that. Just inquiring. Let me keep going. D- do you get it? If, if Eve had been on track, she could have said, no, nah, he didn't say that. What do you got? See you later, Satan. <laughs> that would have been it. All over. But she chose to dialogue with the serpent. And so we see here... She says this uh, in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Here's the intriguing thing Did God say that? Well, funnily enough, the answer to that too is no. God did say you shouldn't eat of it, but it seems like Adam has added a rule for Eve. Uh, God said you must not eat from it. And I think Adam, trying to look after Eve, has gone, hey, Evie, Evie, uh, I want to look after you. Here's the additional rule. The additional rule is you must not touch it or you will die. Can you see that? And as soon as he said that, I reckon it just becomes far more interesting. Don't touch it. Really? I can eat all the other fruit. I don't want to eat it, but gee, I want to touch it. I want to touch it. Well, what we're told not to do, the, the classic one is don't walk on the grass, isn't it? It becomes far more attractive all of a sudden to do it because we're told not to do it. So I think Adam added to the Lord's command something that made it more enticing for Eve. Isn't that ridiculous? So Adam's rule goes beyond God's command, which I think is intriguing. So the first thing Satan does is he says, did God really say?" That's the start of our sin. Did God really say? The next step is this. Uh, I want you to imagine uh, it's a beautiful sunny day like today. What a great day it was. Uh, you're in the park and you've got, you've gone to the fast food vendor, although you've gone to a healthy option, so let's imagine it in a beautiful world. You've got your, I don't know, give me some fast food takeaway that's healthy. I don't know. Sushi? Sushi. Okay, great, brilliant. You've got your sushi, cold fish, uh, in your hands uh, with some rice, and, uh, and your family's there, and you're ready to eat, and this is the park, and you're looking at the park, and you're going, all the tables are taken except for one. And uh, this table has this, this sign on it. Wet paint, no fooling, this paint is wet. What have we all got to do? Yes. I've got I to touch it. I, I, have to, I have to touch it. And what does it say? Don't touch. Wet paint. Leave it be. And our obsession when we see these things, I reckon, I said to the guys this morning, I reckon any wet paint sign, we're almost magnetically drawn to just go and go, I'll oh, just check. Is it still wet? Has anyone done this? I've definitely done this. And you come away with a little spot on your finger because it said wet paint and who knew it was actually wet? Yeah, absolutely, yes. What will happen if I... Oh, man. So, so we love... Here's a boundary, right? That is, don't go, and we just love crossing it. We can't help but doing it. And so what happens in, uh, in these verses? Have a look at uh, verses 4 and 5. Here's what Satan says. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from, the, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent lies and says, actually, it's not going to be like that. That's not actually what's going to happen. It's going to be all right for you to eat the fruit. Have a look with me at chapter 2, verse 17, and see what God did say. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will what? What does it say? Certainly die. And Satan's challenge here, Satan's lie, could not be more explicit. Well, You will not certainly die. I actually think there's some beautiful ambiguity in English here, isn't it? You will not certainly die. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I I can't say 100%. It's about 99.95% chance. There's a fraction there that you you will not certainly die. I think you probably, you know, he's deceiving. He's a liar right from the start. And so the outright lie is the first part of what Satan says. It won't be a cost. And the second thing he says is you'll be like God. You'll be like God. You won't die. It won't cost you. And you'll be like God. Who doesn't want to be like God? He's so in charge of things. You could be God knowing good and evil. Brilliant. Why wouldn't we want to do it? And I think the heart behind it is the question of, does God really love you? And so we start to doubt God's goodness. We start to doubt God's goodness. The lie gets in our head. Did God really say? The second step is to go, hang on. I reckon God's only saying that because He doesn't want us to be like Him. He's jealous of His Godness. It's not really going to hurt me. He's actually holding out goodness from me. And so we start to doubt God's goodness. And here's some questions I think our world might ask like that Does God really hate love? Does God like suffering? Does God want me to be unhappy? And so we ask these questions of ourselves, and we know the answer, and we go, see, if God was to say no to me about this, he must not have my best interest at heart. And so I'm not sure God loves me, and so I might go against what he explicitly tells me not to do. So the next step after did God say is to doubt God's goodness. The next step is desire and obsession. Have a look with me at, at verse 6. When the, wo- when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. I, 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 talk about, uh, my, I talk, talked about my, um, my passion for photography. I love photography. Uh, one of the things about photography is a thing called depth of field. It's how much of the picture is in focus. Can you see this picture here? You can see all the way to the back, is in focus all the way to the fruit at the front. That's called depth of field. Okay? Now what you can do with a really nice lens on your camera is you can change the depth of field like this. And what you can do is you can focus on one object and blur everything else out. That's called a shallow depth of field. Okay? Love it. And that's when photos start to look really great. Okay? But here's the thing. When I'm looking at that, what's my focus on? The cherry. Can I see the rest of the orchard? Absolutely not. Now, this is Satan's lie. What he does is he tells you to look at the forbidden. Okay? And, and if, I, if I do this. Okay, if I, if I put the word forbidden on it, right? I mean, it, it, this is absolutely amazing. This is what our world does literally in marketing. It'll actually say, it'll even use the word forbidden. It's quite extraordinary. So, so it's forbidden. And our focus, our obsession, our desire goes on this one thing. So we lose, the, we lose all the blessings that God's given us and we focus on the one thing that we can't have. Obsession leads to, leads to ignoring our other blessings. So God had given them everything, a huge orchard filled with everything they could want. And now where's Eve's focus? One tree. One tree only. Everything else is forgotten. Only this one thing I cannot have. Now guys, that is sin. It, 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 that, that is our sin. Our sin is, I will obsess over the forbidden and I will lose all the other blessings of God. I'll just ignore them. Our focus collapsed down to shallow depth of field. And what happens next? Well, sin is the natural next consequence. But what we can think is, we can think people just sin. And what I, show you, what I wanted to show you tonight is there's actually all this lead up to sin. Okay? There's much work that we do prior to sin. And so sin is just like flicking the switch. I'll do the thing. Have a look what she does. So, so in 6, uh, it says, so she took, uh, she took it and ate it. That's the sin. But it wasn't the sin, was it? It all started ages before that. She took it and ate it. Wrong. And then what did she do? She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Two things to observe here, just briefly. I often wonder, do we involve other people in our sinful choices? Right, So I've made a bad decision, but I'll feel better about it if you you do it with me. Yeah? Come do the wrong thing with me. That's pretty compelling. The second thing is to observe, what was Adam doing? Oh, why don't you tell me, what was Adam doing, apparently? Nothing. Literally. I I mean, he's, I I don't know, I kind of have them almost back to back, Adam's here like this. Eve's here like this. She's talking to the snake, who's the craftiest animal in the whole thing. He's doubting God's word. Eve's, and Adam's just there. I said said this morning. Adam's just there texting on his phone. Not paying any attention. I, I don't want to make a huge deal about this, but there's a certain lack of leadership from Adam here as a man, isn't there? For his wife. He's not caring for his wife in any way, shape or form. And what he does then having ignored the temptation failed to stop her from sinning taking no responsibility whatsoever for her he just complicitly joins in her sin that's a disaster it's a disaster and it's a failure for him to care for his wife what's the response to that did god say doubt god's goodness desire and obsession sin here's the next thing that happens and this is why sin sucks The next thing is shame. The next thing is shame. Have a look at me at verses 7 to 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Have a look. Compare it with chapter 2, verse 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I, I, I googled shame this morning. And the pictures, every one of the pictures I could find of shame involved this. Every one of them. If it wasn't both hands, it was one hand like this. That's our picture of shame. Why do we do this? What's, why is this connected with shame? Covering hiding yeah it's amazing isn't it we're we're no more or less shameful look at this man can we see him we've almost regressed to being kids at this level aren't we like if i can't see you i'm hiding do you you know do you remember this stage in kids development i can't you can't see me because it's all dark now i don't want to make fun of shame Shame, shame's devastating but here's the thing we've we've regressed so far in our brokenness and our hurt That we're almost playing this game again. I'm going to hide. I need to hide. That's sin. That's the lie. How incredible was the lie Satan sold them? You will be like God. And what's the first response they do is, crikey, I'm naked. I've got to go and hide from God. So rather than being peers with God, hey, I'm the same as you. Come and speak to me face to face. I'm a pitiful creature and i need to run away from the holiness of god it was a terrible lie wasn't it it was a te- it's, it's always a terrible lie and so the lie is revealed disobeying does not bring lasting delight guys uh, this is the key disobeying god's command for flourishing disobeying does not bring lasting delight sin will always be shameful always No cheating it. And guys, the wonderful thing about this, we're all past masters at it, don't we? We all have personal experience here. Nobody doesn't know what I'm saying. Is that right? Everybody gets this. Sin leads to shame. And sin always involves holding. It always involves hiding. Always. Then it's the blame game. Where are you, Adam? Do you think God didn't know? Why was he asking him? I want you to come and fess up. So he says to Adam, no, notice the, the way it worked, right? Satan, Eve, Adam. Who does he go to? Adam. Boy, come here. And so in the in the, in the moment, ha- have a look at, at how it unfolds, uh, 3.12. Hurt uh, you and naked, he said to. Um, the man said, oh, sorry, verse 12. Yep, the man said. I said this morning, you probably said it in a funny voice, you know. So answer for me, you know. Um <clears throat> the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam is hardly man. I'm trying to say. Adam is hardly manning up here, is he? It wasn't me. It was her. Blame shifting is our first response to sin, isn't it? I mean we, you do it with kids. Kids do it all the time wasn't me, it was my sister. I don't have a sister, it was my brother. It was, But it was somebody else, it was always somebody else. And then he goes to the woman, he says, woman, why did you do this? And what does the woman say? It was the stake. It's just passing it on. And so nobody wants to take personal responsibility. And guys, I just think that's our life. That's sin in our world. It wasn't my fault, it was always somebody else's fault. There's always some reason why you sinned that isn't bound up with you. Adam could say, I was a weak man and I followed along thoughtlessly in rebellion against you, my holy God. That would be a man's response. His response is, it's a woman's fault. She gave it to me and I ate it. Dude, so wrong. Own up. And so I think when we're troubled, when we're faced with sin, we activate our inner lawyer and we want to blame someone else. Sin turns everything upside down from God's order. God had put men and women in charge of creation. And then we have a snake telling men and women what to do in rebellion against God. The whole thing's turned upside down by sin. So what happens? Well, you strike a ball in, uh, in pool and everything shatters. You have a sin, you have a consequence. Have a look with me at, uh, at, at what happens. D- despite Satan's promise, sin cannot be left unpunished. And so you will surely die. And so he says to the snake, he says, snake... You are cursed and you will live on the ground and you will eat dust and you will be an enemy with the, women's, with the woman's offspring. He says to women, women, your pain will increase greatly in childbirth. And that, that's a midwife there. See, call the midwives. Anyone? No. I live with the midwives, so I have to watch this program. Your pain will increase greatly in childbearing. And man, you used to work the earth. Now it's going to be painful toil for you. Your work is cursed. Women, your childbearing is cursed. Uh, Satan, your relationship with humanity is cursed. The whole world is ruined by sin. There's two surprises in this account. Okay, I'm not sure if you noticed them. Two surprises in this account. First one is in 321. It's very surprising in my humble opinion. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That is crazy. As God is Cursing them for their sin as he's casting them out of the garden. He says, guys, can you stop for a second? I'm just going to make some clothes for you. Those fig leaves are going to fall off. I want you to be warm. Now, don't ever come back. But isn't it extraordinary? He clothes them as he curses them. God shows grace alongside judgment in this story. I think it's amazing. Little bonus for the evening. Where do you get animal skins from? Just tell me. Animals. How many of those animals survived that process? Okay, here's the crazy thing. What if the first sacrifice in the Bible was clothing Adam and Eve? The next thing is this surprising curse that happens to the snake. Have a look at verse 15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God says, Satan Your head will be crushed. He says, the offspring of the woman will be struck on the heel by the snake. This is a bit of a riddle. What's going to happen here? Here's what happens. Jesus is the answer to the riddle. Jesus is the one who crushes Satan's head on the cross. He defeats death, the punishment for sin that God gave the people in the garden. Jesus crushes the serpent's head. But in the process, he's struck on the heel. He will have to die to pay the price for sin amazingly, in Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of sin, we see Jesus is the answer to the riddle. How extraordinary is that? So how does this help us think about mission? Well, let me tell you three things. The Bible talks about our being impacted by sin as total depravity. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. And what that means is, rather than dust on the outside, a little bit of sprinkling of sin on the outside of us, the Bible says we have a problem deep in our hearts. Deep in our hearts. The problem is heart side not on the outside we have a problem where we are unable to please god without his help that's total depravity we are ruined by sin secondly it says we're in dire need in ephesians 2 it says this as for you you were dead in your sins and transgressions all of us lived among them at one time like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath we're in big trouble before a holy god Our messed upness, our sin means that we're God's enemies. And right now, many are not right with God. That's an understatement. Right around us, right right, right tonight, people have that problem. We have that problem. Without God, we are in desperate need. We are by nature objects of wrath. But here's the amazing answer. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's in the New Testament. Uh, if someone can find the, the page number quicker than uh, me, that would be great. Uh, one Corinthians chapter six, I'm going to read verses nine to 11. One Corinthians chapter six, verses nine to 11. One, one, four five. One, one, four, six. Uh, one Corinthians chapter six, verses nine to 11. Have a listen to who doesn't, get forgiven and what God's response is. Have a listen to this. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you think, oh, well, they were all the people who were outside the church anyway. No problems. Have a look with me at verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The unbelievable truth of the Bible is sinful people can be forgiven. People like you and I, right now, all can be forgiven for all. There is no sin he won't forgive. That's an extraordinary truth. God actually is in the heart transplant business. He'll take your sinful heart out and give you a brand new one if you'll turn to him and trust him. So mission exists because of sin. It needs to exist because of sin. Mission is possible because of Jesus. I want to finish with very very quickly with some practical tips about sin. Okay, first of all, you and I are going to deal with sin tomorrow. Okay, not theoretically. We are going to deal with sin tomorrow. I want to ask you first of all, think about where this goes. So think about that train train trap and uncover the lie. Will this lead me to happiness? If it's against God's command for flourishing, what's the answer, everyone? It's a lie. It will not lead to happiness. Secondly, stop sin in its tracks. So if you think about those steps that we're taking, stop there. Stop where you are now. Stop. Don't go to the next step on the station. You don't have to. Just stop now. Thirdly, limit sin's menu. What I mean by there, don't place yourself in the wrong part of the garden. So if you're thinking, I just want to touch it. Every time I come up here, I want to touch it. Be somewhere else. Go and stand in the foyer. Enjoy the shrubbery somewhere else, right? I said this morning it's mandarin season. Go and hang out in the mandarin part of the garden. Enjoy them. Leave the tree alone. Don't don't hang out where sin is. Practice thankfulness. Regularly stop to consider the rest of the garden. Sorry, I went on too far. Regularly stop to consider the rest of the garden. So if you're being thankful, you'll recognize that there is more garden. We won't just obsess on that one thing. Uh, Fifthly, take a regular stroll. Walk regularly with the gardener. Walking with the gardener will prevent you from running from the gardener. Walking with the gardener will prevent you from running from the gardener. Okay? I think that's very helpful. So pray, read the Bible, get involved with God. So two things uh, at the end here. Conviction, what God wants is conviction. We feel bad about sin, but we come to God for cleansing. So I long to be clean. The opposite is a thing called condemnation, where we go, I long to hide this is so important to you. When you sin and you feel, I need to run away from God, I want you to know tonight, don't run. That voice is from who? It's from Satan. Where's the only place that you'll find forgiveness? In the whole universe, where's the only place that you'll find forgiveness? It's with God. The only one who doesn't want you to come to God is Satan. So when that voice whispers in your ear and says, you aren't worthy, you don't deserve this, you are broken, you did that again, you will never be forgiven. That is unforgivable. When you hear that voice, it is Satan's don't believe the lie. The only place to go is to run towards your heavenly father. And here's why I want to tell you it's worth doing. Here's why it's worth doing. It says in the Bible, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you join Jesus, you're in the no condemnation zone. He'll utterly forgive you. So come to him. And if you go, but I'm ruined. And some of you will say, I can't come to God until I've got this part of my life right. It's the wrong idea. Come with it messed up. Bring your trailer load of trash to God. God, here's all my muck and my sin and my disaster of my life. Now, let's talk. And here's why it's good to do that. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. God will never turn away the person who's brokenhearted about their sin. So come to him broken. We're going to confess our sins because I figure we've got stuff to do. I want to do it with a prayer of confession. And the reason we do this is because it will be helpful in framing a confession that points out we love God, we've messed it up, and we long to be right. Can I invite you to pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and broken your laws. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you, And to please you more and more through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Here's the wonderful word from scripture. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Who doesn't want to celebrate that? That's what's on offer. How glorious. You can't find it anywhere else. And it's offered freely tonight. So we're going to remember how that was made possible with the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is our opportunity to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection on our behalf. Now, we have a way of doing that. At night, we might do a little bit more free form next time we do it, okay? A little bit less ordered than we'll do it tonight. But can I encourage you to do it like this tonight? This structure, I think, will help us know what it's about and what it's for, And uh, what I encourage you to do, there's bits in bold here. I'd love you to say them, and uh, I'll say the other bits. They're not boring and trudgy. So if I say, lift up your hearts, you say, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night before he died, Jesus took bread. And it's worth pointing out at evening, he didn't take it out of a plastic bag, just so we're clear, okay? Okay. He had a, probably a beautiful loaf in front of him. So the Lord Jesus, on the night before he died, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he took the cup and again giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we're going to pray a prayer here. So let me encourage you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for these gifts of your creation and pray that we who eat and drink them in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, believing our Savior's word, may be partakers of his body and blood. Amen. And so let me encourage you tonight, I don't know where you're up to with Jesus, and we've got kids here tonight as well. Uh, If you're trusting in Jesus, we'd love you to take the bread and the juice. If you haven't chatted with mum and dad about that, you might want to let it go past tonight. And then next time we do it, you might like to take it. We're going to uh, eat this bread and drink this cup. And together, we proclaim the Lord's death. We do this until he returns. Come, Lord Jesus, come indeed. Well, come let us eat and drink. And remember that Christ died for us. And feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. So what we're going to do, we're going to pass the, the bread around. And uh, I might get, uh, Jeff, do you want to come and help me? Michelle, would you like to come and help me? And Ian, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. So what we're going to do, if you can take uh, the bread and uh, the juice and hang on to them, uh, that would be really helpful. Uh, I'll do that one then, mate. Yep. And we'll eat, them, eat and drink together.